0: Hello everyone. Liam here, welcoming you to this special live uh, recorded episode from the Early Learning Association Australia conference. This is actually our 100th episode because we've had so much trouble getting together and recording. This is now become the 100th episode. So I um, really hope you enjoy it. Just a couple of things before we start. Uh, one is we you know we've tried our best with the sound quality, but we're you know working with um, uh, pretty amateur understandings of recording and editing and all those kind of things. So please forgive us as um, some of the sound uh, you know isn't uh, as perfect as you might otherwise hear. Um, and just a big thank you to everyone who is. Also sent us their uh, their sort of uh, audio recordings, thanking us for the the hundredth episode. We we haven't got time to include them in this episode, un- unfortunately, because it it runs for the for the full hour. And um, but we will definitely be using them either in a bonus episode uh, in next week, or we'll sort of use them as part of our hundred and first episode. So um, we do want to apologise they're not in this episode, but we really appreciate you sending them through, and we will definitely be using them. Uh, but uh, that's enough uh, intro from me. Let's head to uh, Melbourne and the Crown uh, Convention Centre Uh, with this live episode uh, recorded, the Early Learning Association Australia conference. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a very special episode of the Early Education Show. I'm Liam.
1: I'm Lisa. And I'm Leanne.
0: And we're here at the Early Learning Association Australia Conference in Melbourne with an actual crowd of people looking at us as we Very speak. It's incredibly exciting, it? weird and strange.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think if we'd envisaged this a few years ago, we would have thought we were crazy. I think
0: that's, that's absolutely sweet. right. Um, now, we do want to say, obviously, there was a mindfulness thing scheduled in here before. So if you're here for mindfulness, you have come to the wrong room
1: yeah. <laughs> They're
0: right in every way possible. So you are welcome to leave at any given point in time. Um... Yes, we're, we're very excited to be here. We're excited to have so many people, I think, still wandering in and coming in. Um, I'd like to begin by, I guess, uh, extending our acknowledgement of the Wurundjeri peoples of the uh, Kulin Nation as well. Uh, we're very excited to be here on Wurundjeri Nation to do this, uh, this special episode. Um, uh, could we get a bit of a sense? Look, I, I really cannot imagine if you have never heard of this show before that you would put up your hand to, oh my God, can we get a bit of a... Now this is an audio medium, so I should say this is being recorded. So keep all swearing to a minimum. Cheer, yeah. Cheers of adoration are welcome; they, they they fit very well into into the uh, into the recording. But if you've if you've heard of the podcast before, if you've listened to an episode, can you give a little a little cheer? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: If you've never heard of, of us before, can you give a little cheer as well? A little awkward nervous. Yeah. cheer?
1: Yeah. Oh, oh dear! My God.
0: <laughs> Why would you come to this? <laughs>
2: It mean, must be quite mad. Oh my god!
0: Okay. Okay. Well, you know, a very quick introduction, Luke. Winter. We've we've been doing this since twenty sixteen. This is actually uh, the episode we're recording today. Uh, by a very wonderful coincidence, It's actually the hundredth episode of the podcast. <laughs> so. You know, when you have a 100th episode, you have a party. We've got lots of people here to, to join us for the party. Um, describing our show is quite difficult, I think. So I think one of the things I might do, we've had what we, listeners sometimes leave us reviews on the, on the Apple Podcast Store, and we think they, they did a really brilliant summation of what the show is. So I might just read from this review, if that's okay. Um, the review was three stars out of five, which probably, yeah, that, that's probably what I'd give it. <laughs> um, it starts off quite well. I just could not believe how much the presenters waffle on with this inane banter and how little they actually present the information. This is pretty echo so far. To be fair, I only listened to three episodes, but nothing would make me keep going. So, look, unfortunately, we're quite proud of that review because unfortunately... Banter is what you get for this show. We are not necessarily that serious in presenting our, our, our opinions on advocacy and and uh, and pedagogy and practice and leadership. Uh, there will be a fair amount of banter even here today, and most yeah. of that comes down to teasing Lisa. So you know, everyone, everyone's welcome no, 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 to join. No, no, you've got it. it wrong. We've agreed that you're going oh. to be the
2: victim this today. Didn't, we
0: didn't have that discussion beforehand, but that's
2: alright. <laughs>
0: Totally okay. Uh, so in terms of what we're going to be doing today, we have an hour with you. We've got quite a few things we want to get through. One of the things we uh, wanted to talk about, if people who have listened to the show, we do talk a lot about advocacy. That's probably the heart of the work we do on the podcast. Um, are, are, there, are people in the room regular podcast listeners? Is that something that people engage in? Really recommend a really great way to get quite quick, easy information. You can do it while you're jogging, while you're showering. Someone's actually said that in a review. They listen to us while they're showering, which is a disturbing thought. <laughs> <laughs> but and
2: somebody else listens to us when they've got insomnia at night. <laughs>
0: so anyone so who... lying
2: kno- in their bed and... Like-
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <It's> terrible, <right? laughs> so anyone who knows the show even a little knows that we have advocacy and political engagement unapologetically at the heart of what we do. So today's episode here at ELAA is about how we can sort educators to take that step and get into some, the sometimes murky waters of advocacy and a- activism. And it's, I can't think of a better day to do was all well, the day before a federal election where yeah. early education Yay. is kind of right at the heart of... Um, uh, the policies. And I can only hope that uh, what the wonderful Victorians in the room did to the last government here in Victoria happens roughly the same to the national one. Um, we thought one of the best ways to do that was to tell our own stories of the, of the first steps we took as advocates. I think across the uh, 100 episodes we've done, I don't think we've actually told our sort of individual origin stories. So Lisa, why don't you kick us off? Can you recall what your first step into advocacy was?
2: When I was seven, <laughs> I organised a protest against a teacher. Oh. Sorry, teachers. Um, it was one where you know, a child had been unjustly accused of something and so I had to stand up for him. But in early education, I was... In New South Wales, we kind of have a different situation to Victoria. Our department is that looks after early education is pretty stuffed and have been for years and years. And so um, they, I was working at a service, they... Did some, uh, came in to do an investigation of a child on child sexual assault case, and they did it so badly that I just went, oh God, something's got to be done about this department. And so I looked in the jobs vacant section the next week, and there was a job for a journalist, which is what my actual background is, at um, Community Childcare in New South Wales, and I got that job. And all these years later, I'm still. Standing up for children.
0: What happened to that teacher?
2: Um, oh, I'm sure they had a horrible and long-lasting death. <laughs> <laughs> <No>? <laughs> I don't know.
0: So when, so obviously starting in that role of community childcare, what were the first things you can remember thinking about the sector? Did you think oh, this is really simple and easy to understand, and it's going to be really easy to advocate in the sector, or was it not that? Um,
2: mm, no, I, I worked out straight away that the community-based sector was the ones that I wanted to support more than other services. Sorry if you're from a for-profit service. Because it just seemed to me to be crazy to be making money out of children. And I still can't quite believe I live in a country that thinks that's okay. (laughs) What did you find difficult about advocacy in the sector when you first started? There is a million different bodies in this sector. And they don't get on very well. (laughs)
0: Can I remember one of the things as an early advocate getting your head to my section is that Lisa and Leanne both helped me out early on. You, uh, when oh, you were both. Oh, we at, were nice. I know, you were very nice. No, not in person, but you, when you worked <laughs> at. Right. <laughs> not at, when you were at community childcare cooperative, I think you both, I'm sure you were both organised and put together a one page or two pager that listed every single acronym. Uh, yeah. How yes. many that did you come right. up with in the there end? There must have been hundred or something.
1: Yeah, a yeah, hundred acronyms.
0: Can yeah. you list them all now? No, no. that would be bad. <laughs> that would be because about, they've changed. Bad. That's why. <laughs> we need an, actually, we need an update. Can we, we, we do, we do. To do that? Um, all right. So Leanne, thank you, Lisa, for your for your first steps into advocacy. Lisa, uh, Leanne, sorry, you reached one of the highest leadership roles in advocacy in the country. People don't know Leanne was the CEO of Community Childcare Cooperative in New South Wales. Um, now. Uh, you have to sit and talk to Lisa and I every week. So that's quite a big fall from right at the top of the sector. Um, But how did that journey to becoming an advocacy leader start?
1: Well, I'll talk more about the fall later because I want to actually make a serious point about that. Um, But I was a little bit of a later starter than Lisa. I had my first letter to the editor published when I was nine in the newspaper, and no one was more surprised than me. Can you
0: remember what it was about?
1: Yeah, it was about education. um, (laughs) And it was about a particular system of schooling which I loved and was a part of being criticised in the newspaper. So I took the ironic stance and spelt every word wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it was published. and And I think that the two years of that particular form of education actually shaped the way I think for my whole life. And I think that that's that's wonderful because I can really see the impact that education had, the type of education. The rest of my school life was dismal. But two years were just a standout for me. So um, I did write to the paper. I don't think I... um, Made the cause go any further by misspelling every word or <laughs> whatever. Um, I actually got published, and I think it, it made with me understand with the misspellings,
2: or did they? Yeah, with you? the
1: misspellings, because it was ironic. They could oh. see that a nine-year-old was being ironic.
0: It's such so, student
1: humor. Yes, I know, I know. It was good. <laughs> Those were the days when someone could get a letter published in a paper. Anyway, um, but then what I did, um, I, I always had this feeling about justice. I don't think I understood social justice, but I always had this feeling of every, you know, things being unjust in the world. And when I went to a conference very, very early in my career, I what um, didn't actually uh, make the uh, workshop that I wanted to. I had to go into the advocacy workshop. And I think I was thinking, what does advocacy mean, really? So I went to the workshop, and it was a community childcare New South Wales <laughs> workshop, which was really wonderful. And when I was in that workshop, I was thinking, oh, my goodness, yes, I, I understand advocacy because I really do this advocacy thing. And I went on from there. And I I think what I did was I just kind of kept forcing my way into uh, like an advocacy landscape. So I did the workshop. Um, I eventually worked for Community Child Care Cooperative New South Wales, as Liam said. And uh, I just kept doing things like really not because I was talented or anything, but just because I thought, I'll just have a go. (laughs) No, I just thought I'll have a go and I'll just keep pushing forward. And uh, I think from from there on, I just made great friends like these ones. That's my serious bit. Um, Because in terms of actually, like, Lamb's laughing about the fall, but you are nothing (laughs) without the people around you and you are nothing without the talents that those people bring. And I can honestly say that I would never have done the job at, New South Wales Community Child Care without Lisa for a start, and then without Liam in that ongoing space. So, we did all sorts of fun things at Community Child Care, which I won't document, but one of those things was Liam speaking at our Speaking Up conference. So, I'm going to throw to you about your starting advocacy. <laughs> yeah.
0: Are you implying that you got my start in advocacy, Liam, no. The next section is You not asked go so well me, could leave.
1: I segue into you? I chose something. So, we really these
2: <laughs> well. Um,
0: and so uh, it's going it to be very hard for me this, to, to tell this story without having to constantly refer back to it, that I'm of a very slightly different generation than Lisa and Leanne, just very, very, very slight, very, very, very slight. Um, but I was. I started even later than um, Leanne and Lisa in terms of of advocacy. I had a very privileged uh, upbringing. um, In Canberra. In (laughs) (laughs) Canberra, with uh, private schools and all those kind of things. Social justice wasn't usually on my radar, but I was a... You
1: went to a private school? I sure did. This is not something we knew.
0: No, this is all the secrets are coming out (laughs) Do
1: we want to continue this? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're here now, Lisa, so let's keep
0: going on. Um, I was a child of the Howard years, though, so the only prime minister, the only political system I knew was John Howard. Um, so my first steps into advocacy wasn't actually early education. It was refugee and asylum seeker um, policy, and I and I remember um, vividly remember um, watching the Today Show back when I used to think that was a cool thing to do, um, <laughs> and the Tampa boat coming. Uh, that whole two week period is almost seared into my mind, and that just completely changed the way I thought. I realised at that time that. Politicians can be really nasty people as well as just saying the wrong, you know, as well as engaging them in more policies. They can deliberately, um, you know, disingenuously present things that directly harm children and present them in such a way. And I remember that really activated me and I became hugely involved in that space first. Um, uh, and and I can then vividly remember throughout that period of time, I don't know if people... Look, assuming you're of a slightly progressive event like the three of us, and again, I'm not sure quite why you are here, if that's not the case, but if people can remember what it felt like when... John Howard was finally... Kicked out of office in two thousand and seven. What we called the Rudd slide. Jo- Kevin Rudd seemed like the progressive saviour we had all been waiting for. Mm-hmm. Um, I can just vividly remember hanging out with my housemates that night, and, and actually, and I sent Lisa and Leanne a photo the other day of you know holding wine glasses, and thinking we were all very adult and cool. Which is
1: underage drinking at ten is very. <laughs> <amazing>. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't quite that bad, but
0: um, and and cheering the idea that John Howard had been kicked out of office, and we had this progressive government coming that was going to close the mandatory detention camps. So they were going to begin the process of funding early education in a really different way. Um, so that was a pivotal moment for me. And then the second pivotal moment was how quickly that turned very sour. And my next vivid memory from an advocacy space, and I joined the Labor Party, I voted for the Labor Party in 2007, and as much as I now admire and respect Julia Gillard for some of the incredible work she did, but I, again, burned into my memories that night she stood up after having got rid of Kevin Rudd, who, to be fair, had become a complete psychopath, and I think probably was prior to then, um, and she used the term irregular maritime arrivals for the first time. Labor had had a position where they were not, where they were welcoming refugees, where they were, they were closing their Pacific Island camps. And because of the public pressure that had been put on, Julie Gillard's one of her first public statements was that that, would, that was going to change. And I remember hearing those words come out of her mouth, irregular maritime arrivals. And it was right back to the Howard years. I remember being so crushed and disappointed and, and resigning my Labor membership. Uh, that night, and they've never, did you? yeah, they never, never signed up again. Um, so I guess my lessons from that were that you know bad things can happen in the world, good things can happen as well, but we have to hold politicians to account, and we have to continue fighting for for, for what's right. But um, yes, and, you know yes. And, and then thinking about climate change and things yes. as well, you know, that was the, but that was going to be a progressive paradise. Remember we got how excited we all were. It was an absolute whitewash, and I think didn't, it, it didn't was happen. to
1: a degree a progressive paradise, and I think things did. Did change, but maybe not as much as you wanted them to.
0: No, and now I'm a bit of cynical old man, and that didn't. Take
2: <laughs> He's not really.
0: <laughs> um, so I guess if we think about those first starting. Are there things we would, are there things we look back on and go um, that that we would, you know, recommend to people in terms of those taking those first steps? What do we think back from our from our individual stories? What do we take away from those?
1: I think just have a go. Just you know, get out <laughs> there, and if you've got something in your heart to do, just do it really that's kind of I hear in broad. Australia if you
0: have a go you get a go
1: <laughs> if you have a go you get a go the promise of Australia yep. it's everything it's Wonderful. all happening but yeah I, I think that it's just really you know taking whatever you have and and dedicating that to your advocacy efforts and I, I was looking around the room this morning downstairs and thinking wow there's like there must be a thousand people here if everybody gave 10 minutes of advocacy to their week, every week, which you may well do, so I'm in no way um, criticising people about anything. Imagine what could be done by just that group of 10 minutes of advocacy
2: a week. So, yeah. yeah. What, to me, it's that old thing of asking who benefits and who loses. So as a seven-year-old kid, I knew that um, who lost out of this interaction with this teacher that I organised a protest against was a kid that wasn't very smart, wasn't very liked, etc. And so just, you know, I was on his side because he was the loser. And if you look mm-hmm. at how power is distributed in Australia and if you look at who's the loser and, and yeah, stand up for them, then you're always taking... You're always being an advocate in itself.
0: Mm. Yeah. I think one of the things that... You know, I didn't really talk about early education advocacy. What changed for that for me wasn't a particular moment, but it was you started working in the sector as a um, early childhood, uh, a casual childhood educator. And back in, so I started in 2003 and in, incredibly bad. I think walked in, had my interview and was hired by the end of the day. No police check, no references, no nothing. God, that's a slightly terrifying thought, I'm, I'm kind of You're glad it happened. to my own. of course you'd be hired. <laughs> um, what started at me wasn't a single moment, it was working with, it was my, my first exposure to working directly with children and families who were experiencing vulnerability or experiencing disadvantage, which was just completely outside my sphere of influence. You know, it, 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 children of families from diverse backgrounds, children of you know, families experiencing disability, um, mental health issues, the kind of people that we work with in the sector all day, every day. And I think... With the advocacy background, well, the kind we can... of people
1: that are in society, yes, community. yes.
0: <laughs> um, and, you know, one of the things—the foundational part of my advocacy—is around access to early education. That's why it's so important because mm-hmm. um, the system is so complex for people, full stop. But what the what complexity really are, are disadvantages people who are already struggling, and that's you know that's always been a firm part of my advocacy. Mm-hmm. But um, I think one of the things we can now say is that. For those who have been following the twenty nineteen election, and I hope you know everyone has been to some extent, is that this has probably been, you know, maybe with the exception of two thousand and seven, when there was some interesting early childhood policies being promoted. This is, you know, we probably never had a higher profile for for early education uh, in the twenty in this election that we've had. I, I can't even think of a, of a previous one. Maybe with that exception, two thousand and seven. It's, it's in the the ABC Vote Compass feature, which kind of sounds small and detailed. but That's actually huge. Over a million people have. Completed that and given their view on universal access to three-year-old preschool, and
1: that was so cool, wasn't it, to see that, that really question cool. in there? It's it was very exciting. Yeah, this yeah. is what
0: gets nerds excited. Is that it's been added to an <laughs> online voting thing. So happy I'm excited. With that. Um, so we can, well, I think we can confidently say that early education has never had a higher political profile than it does. Um, now, So I think we want to ask the question, I think as part of our next session, is why that's the case. What's been working in early education advocacy? I think we've sometimes been guilty in the podcast of worrying about what hasn't worked in advocacy, particularly during the Jobs for Families package. We had a lot of, I think, quite strong views on how poorly that was um, handled. But clearly things have been working. The profile is huge. So I might start to you, Lisa. Like, what, Why is it such a big deal this election, do you think?
2: I can give you some ideas, but I'm not really sure. I can tell you what it hasn't been. I don't think it's been because of the organised campaigns that the sector has run. Has it, do it, people here know about the campaigns that are being run for early education, who's heard of early education, everyone benefits?
0: Early learning. Everyone. Early
2: learning, everyone benefits. Okay, about seven or eight people. Who's heard about Launch Into Learning? three or four people. Who's heard about Sure Start? Three or four again. Who's heard about preschools, the uh, Victorian preschool campaign? A few more there, probably about mm, 15. All of those campaigns, oh, who's heard about the parenthood? Sorry, that's the other one. You're yeah, about three or four. All of those campaigns are campaigns that are being run by different sector organisations like ECA and um,
0: uh, good stars good and start a
2: and a lack of organizations like these. but they're not very there's so many of them they've all put out scorecards telling you who you should vote for in the election but they're not very well known. So I don't think that what the sector itself is doing is why we've got a higher profile. I think it's a few things. One, I think it's actually a lot of it in this election is due to the role of United Voice, the union. Mm. Who's a member of United Voice here? Who's a member of another union, like AAU? Okay, that's really depressing, guys. Join your union. (laughs) Um, Because I think that they have managed to get the Shorten government certainly convinced about Mm. the importance of early education. I also think it's about um, the, the role of the state governments. When states like Victoria say, we will give early education to all three-year-olds, that sends a message to the federal governments and federal political power parties that this stuff's important. But I also think it's because this election has largely become an election about inequality. What is the best way of changing inequality in a society. It's education, right? And what's the best sort of education? Early, <laughs> early childhood education. Thank you, someone, for answering that question. But it, it is, we know that it is absolutely the best way to ensure that children start school on an equal playing field if they've had access to high quality early education. And I think Shorten knows that because previous people in his party, like um, Jenny, Jenny Macklin, Macklin um, and Kevin Rudd, Kevin Rudd read um, Heckman about the benefits of early education between just before the two thousand and seven election, and that became part of his understanding. And I think that understanding's been passed down the party. Hmm.
0: I think that's a really good point about, not to play to the crowd, but the Victorian government, I think we've referred to them regularly in the podcast, we're slightly angry... Our and, favourite government. Yeah. ..slightly angry and frustrated. In New South Wales and even the ACT, which is doing some good things around early education, but the Victorian government's done some incredible work, not just around the, the commitment to three-year-old preschool, but the Kuri preschools, one of the, you know, flagship approaches to Indigenous early education. Um, but one of the important things, I think, to pick up early Lisa, is that the way early education is so complex in Australia, that a lot of it is done... Uh, at COAG, so the Community Australian Governments, where the state, te- state and territory uh, premiers and the education ministers come together with the federal. And having strong state voices is in- incredibly powerful and the experience and the story of Victoria is so powerful in those stories. So thank you, Victorians. We're very, very mm, grateful for yeah, the work you through. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Mm. Um, all right, thanks, Lisa. So, Leanne, what have, what's been working? Why, why are we doing so well?
1: This well, um, I think your question that you posed to us was... <laughs> Uh, what has the um, what has it told us? What's the 2019 election told us about early education advocacy? And I think I, I want to sort of say more what it's told us about attitudes to children. I think what it has done is it's told us that early childhood education matters to some, but it doesn't matter to everybody. And I think it's told us that children matter to some, but they don't matter to everybody. And if it mattered... When um, Shorten proposed the educator increase, the wage increase, there would have been one hundred percent approval of that because people would understand that educators were important in the work of cho- in, in the work of delivering a quality program to children. But instead, there was this incredible divisive response to that. So you know, you could look at it and say there was a good response, but there was a pretty there was a pretty strong, poor response I think to it as well. Which so. It sort of tells me that we haven't got children properly on the agenda yet. And um, Leanna was saying this morning that we don't understand... We haven't got children's rights on the agenda properly, and I think that that's very, very true. I don't believe that it's up to us to take a position that's sympathetic to government, but so often we do in this sector. We don't need to help government do this job. What we need to do is just keep insisting on what we want to get, Right? Because it's actually government's job <laughs> to do the work. We can support them in that, certainly, but we don't have to understand that position, right? And I don't mean that we don't have to understand, we don't have to tolerate it. Because if we're just doing government's work, when are we doing our own work about children, right? If we're, if we're making it easy for governments to do particular things which are not in the interests of children, why, why are we doing our jobs, Our job is to put children front and centre and then get governments to do their job. We can give them a little bit of a hand, but um, it's not... I'm probably not saying it right. You know what I mean, do you? (laughs) Usually you guys jump in. I
2: I think what you're saying is, you know... Let me put it this way. If governments had put children front and centre... They wouldn't have come up with the childcare subsidy. That's right. That enabled yeah. yep. ch- some children not to get access to early education if their parents didn't work. That's Is right. Is that a good one That's way exactly.
1: Of thank you, Lisa. That's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to you guys budding in on me. I <laughs> well, oh, oh, okay, are but you don't usually give me space, so now I'm really uncomfortable with it. <laughs> um, <laughs> usually, I'm running behind, going me. But anyway, um, the other thing is when I think about things like getting a Royal Commission into institutional responses um, to abuse, people who were pushing for that did not say, we understand everybody else's position, so we'll just go easy on this. That wasn't what they did. (laughs) They just pushed and pushed. And that's our job as early childhood advocates is to push for the position of children. And finally, I wrote... We need to go big or go home. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm kind of
0: hearing from... So that question was designed for us to be relatively positive about advocacy, but I, I feel like I've just heard two answers that say it's kind of on the agenda despite the work of okay. advocacy you can, in the You sector. can be
2: positive now.
0: <laughs> well, but I, I want to tackle that a little bit, because I think we... I, we For people who have listened to the it's podcast... It's not like
1: you to be more positive well, at this stage. I'm trying
0: my best. We've, we obviously... The, the people who listen throughout the passing of the legislation of the... Childcare package. And for those who aren't familiar with the intricate details of it, but what we should remember, because we're now in this system, what was being proposed, and it was public, was that there would be a cut in the reduction of hours. So pre, prior to July 2018, every child had, um, if they um, could access at least two, uh, 24 hours of childcare benefit, and, uh, no, sorry, the childcare. I've already, there's too many acronyms. I'm in the system and I'm in the childcare subsidy system, but they could access 24 hours. The government was being upfront about proposing they were going to cut that to 12. Um, the sector came back with a counter-offer of 15, which was, you know, strange. See, that's reserve. what
1: I mean by the government. Like, that's yes. what I mean by helping government out. We don't need to do that. We don't do need to do either. that. So, so awesome. that was
0: being proposed. And there was obviously the work activity test was being proposed. The families would have to... That in order for their child to be deserving of access to early education. Mm-hmm. And we need to use that terminology. That's that's what it's about, whether children deserve access to early education based on what their parents were doing. Um, so this was all quite public. And I think the advocacy around that was, was challenging and difficult for a range of people. But... What, what we're in a position now where we do have one of the major parties proposing, at least in, in a small way, that you know an increase of 85% for some families to 100%, so we could be in a situation in this country next year where for a relatively small cohort of people who will still have to meet the activity test, which is really disappointing from, from Labor where for the first time, with the exception of additional childcare subsidy with the exception of things like the AMEP program, which are very small targeted programs, that there will be children accessing early education completely funded by the government. That's actually a pretty yes, huge win. Yes, it is. Yeah.
1: Yes, that's very good. Yeah, you. that is
0: good. But um, I I am going to press both of you because I think you, the answers you've both given me are it's going kind to of happen despite sector advocacy. And I, I don't think... That's the case, do we? I mean, I, I can talk a little bit about. I, that.
1: I think that we should n- never have rolled over on on the activity test, and that I, I just think we shouldn't have done that. So I guess I'm kind of a bit bit jaded about that. Oh, we
0: really change roles, here. Ian. This I is know it's not like me to do <laughs> that. <laughs> Sorry. Really so
2: well, <laughs> should I, think... I do one of those laughs now? That we can... <laughs> well, Look, <I'm>... <laughs> I think it's happened despite sector advocacy or certain sorts of sector advocacy. I give. Um, um, praise to the union advocacy but I think it's happened despite that probably because I think a lot of our advocates pissed off one of the parties in the lead up to sorry is that a word I'm not supposed to say <laughs> <laughs> annoyed one of the parties in the lead up to the election and when you oh, sorry in the lead up to the jobs for families, jobs for families um, yeah. package but and I think when you annoy as a sector, a political party, it doesn't go down well for you.
0: Isn't part of the role of advocates being annoying? Oh, that's all right. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how what I, I
2: think it. Yeah, you choose your partners and then you stick with them. Is how you do it. I'm well, confused. I can't believe I've
1: been put in mm-hmm. the position of being positive yes. and optimistic. <laughs> okay, but but it? The, the one thing I sorry, I, I want to slip back to being more positive is that I think Phew. the presence of early childhood education way back when there wasn't even somebody who talked about early childhood education in government. And then we got ministers actually, you know, allocated to these particular roles. So I suppose that that's an extremely positive thing. And just the fact that it's on the agenda is good, but we need to give it a hard hit.
0: (laughs) Well, my answer, so what has the 2019 election told us about early education advocacy? And thinking about that, because I knew Lisa and Leanne were going to take those big... Points. One of the things that we've been reflecting on it was that we should acknowledge the success of the national quality framework. Mm. Um, Indeed. And- so one of the things I think that has done, as well as we're seeing, obviously, the slow improvements in... You know, they, I wish they were faster, but we're seeing the improvements in quality. They all the data from a secret saying the services across the country are <coughs> improving quality, and that was the point of the NQF. We always need to remember it was meant to be rolled out between 2012 and 2020, and there was a period where that there that would be six, you know, quality improvements along the way. But what I think it's done along the side is, is it has changed the way we've talked about early education. Um, it's streamlined and focused discussions on quality and research. So, for, you know, for those of us who worked prior to the National Quality Framework, it was such a splintered, diverse... Everyone was talking about different things. We couldn't agree on terminology. Some of us were educators, some of us were teachers, some of us were practitioners, some of us were daycare workers. Um, if we remember back then, and, you know, that's what I would have probably called myself in my first centre. What it's done is it's narrowed our. Uh, it sounds kind of crazy, but it, because it's narrowed the the talking point, it's narrowed the field of what we're saying is acceptable and and positive about the sector. I think that's made our our voice even when the advocacy campaigns. There's a lot going on. What we're talking about is at least roughly the same thing, which is about how important early education is, how it is delivered, it needs to be delivered by qualified and professional educators. And why, why I wanted to hire the NQF is because the NQF is the sector. So even if I wish I could you know, tap a magic wand and make every single educator who worked in the sector you know, a political advocate, that's not likely to happen, but they are advocates for the work they do every single day. And we have seen this slow and steady improvement. And I don't think we can underestimate the fact that families are coming in and hearing different things from educators about what early education means. They're hearing us talk in different ways about their children. Um, So whether we're directly going to those families and saying, gee, you really need to think about how you vote, which I don't think is happening in too many centres, the way we're talking and thinking about the sector, thanks to the national equality framework, I I actually do think has had a direct impact Mm -hmm. on how people are um how politicians are approaching it because the reason i know it's the case is if we think back to the 2013 election so we just we had gillard we'd had rudd no we'd had rudd then gillard then rudd again who can remember these prime (laughs) ministers? then the magnificence of tony abbott that brief and glorious reign um (coughs) the rollback the the ending of the national Quality framework was on the agenda if we can think back to this is now and
1: it was really cool because scott morrison went oh it's in law Oh, I can't well, do annoying. that. Oh, whoops! But <laughs> <Well>, we <laughs> re- really
0: good. We can't because we're in twenty nineteen now. The NQF feels embedded. We're on the second review. No one is going to this election saying we will roll back and dismantle mm-hmm. the NQF. That's actually a huge yeah. advocacy win. But if you think back to twenty thirteen, the the minister at the time, Susan Lay, this is like four early education ministers ago, um, was saying, well, "I don't like the NQF and I want to either roll it back or get but rid it." But it also retirement.
1: tells you what we need to do is get everything in law.
0: Yes, <laughs> like, really. That's what Pass we have to do: people. is
1: get law. You know, get yeah. get uh, children's rights embedded in law.
2: Okay, I'll make a law that every child should have access to high quality early education. Yeah, what? A, that,
1: wouldn't that be fantastic? <laughs> Vocally, that's what. But wonderful. we do. But we do need to get you know children's rights. The convention is not embedded in any legislation. Right, so that's we've got to get things in law, yeah. and I think that's a beautiful example. Thank you, wow. Liam, for that example. And, Liam,
2: can I just apologize for coughing through your <laughs> <the> entire speech there? <laughs> no problem. I at home, when we record the podcast, we've got this nice little button on our microphones called mute, so you can just press the mute button and have a coughing fit. And just
1: to be clear, we're never in the same room when that
2: happens.
1: <laughs> well,
0: actually, you missed the best part of recording at home, which is we're in our pyjamas and normally have a glass of Lots wine. wine. <laughs> <laughs> and boots. So I are much better behaved today.
2: You're listening to The Early Education Show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Find out more about this episode and all of the previous episodes at earlyeducationshow.com.
0: All right. So, if we really quickly, I want to flip, fling this to a bit of a challenge to both of you quickly. Yep. So, we, so, we've obviously talked about um, there are a range of advocacy campaigns going on in the sector at the moment, and I think you know, the overall effect of that is at least early education's on the agenda. But if we could, uh, you know, push all those to one side, <laughs> and we could say the early education sector is going to have one advocacy campaign, and I'm putting you two in charge as like the operations manager of the of this mm. campaign. So, you you're you're running the show, you're behind the scenes, you're the puppet master.
1: Yes. So, I want you to.
0: Um, what would what would you what would this campaign... If you've got a title, I'd be very excited. We may be, you may not be prepared enough for a title, but what would your title of your campaign be, if you oh. have one? What would you be focusing on? And you
2: didn't ask us no, no, to prepare no, that. This, way that. Not a title. And,
0: and, what would, and who would you put in charge of this campaign? Who would be the front person for your campaign? I'm going to go to Leanne first.
1: Well, I'm going to take um, make use of the future and I'm going to get an artificial intelligence avatar in charge <laughs> of Oh, my gosh. And the reason I'm going to do that is because... They're going to be very intuitive, and they're going to be very charismatic, and do everything right. And because no one will be able to criticize an artificial intelligence avatar, then they will be able to lead the campaign appropriately. <laughs> now, sitting under there, so you know what I mean. Like it can't, it's not, it can be sort of political, but not really political. Um, but underneath those people, and my my um, my campaign is about early childhood workforce because I don't think that you can do anything without a great workforce. And I don't think you can do anything without a really well-paid workforce. Now, as I usually go back to the um, Productivity Commission report of 2011 on workforce, which <laughs> you guys are very sick of me talking about because I just think it's a really great report. Um, on my team, I would obviously have us, and oh, I have. She likes us. I have. No, you're useful. I have. Um, <laughs>
0: I think we're just getting teas and coffee. So <laughs> right. like. and
1: I'd have Robert FitzGerald who is actually the commissioner um, leading the productivity commission on early childhood workforce who also worked on the Royal Commission into Institutional That was a responses. terrible report. What was the Productivity Commission report. Not 2011. It was not the 2011 oh, one. The, not the 2013 one. The Workforce Sorry, sorry.
0: Yep. This okay. is the only three group of early childhood people you get together and argue about which Productivity <laughs> Commission report was the best one, 2011
1: or 2013. As 2011 was the best, it actually made this really fantastic... <laughs> sort of framework, not the not ultimately fantastic, you know, not the best, but it was really great. Sorry, I'll be quick. I know I need to hurry mm-hmm. up. Um, I'd have Sally McManus. Oh, I yes. would um, have the dearly departed Bob Hawke. He'd be watching oh. over us. Can hey, we have golf as well? Yes. <laughs> yes. Golf got um, early education. I would have a bunch of early childhood um, educators and a bunch of industrial lawyers and parents. And really what I would do is I would get the workforce Trained in the best possible way, um, get them inspired, get them jobs, mm. and uh, give leadership training to everybody so that we just pushed forward and we created the best early childhood sector and I'd pay them the big bucks. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you happen to know anyone who runs some good leadership training? We yes, available,
1: <laughs> available upon request. <laughs>
0: I, I feel like you have to picked someone to be in charge, of you, You're being very socially democratic about this, man. Mm-hmm. You? You're very much a product of the <laughs> early education sector. You've put someone in charge. Someone's no, because I'm charge.
1: looking at the future, and I think that we really need to consider the rights of artificial intelligence okay. in the future.
0: All right. That wasn't where I thought this episode was going. But <laughs> All right, Lisa, what's your, what's your campaign? Who are you putting in charge? Okay.
2: I'd, be a robot? I'd, Le- uh, Leanne, no, I'd like to put Ryan Gosling in charge. He's <laughs> really cute. No, I'm not, sorry. Um, a robot. We're going to put a robot
1: in
2: charge. <laughs> <laughs> He's not a robot. Mm. Um, uh, again, like Leanne, I've done it collegially because, you know, we all like to work as a team in the early education and care sector and we really wouldn't want the boss of it to be under, you know, written by the gossiping of the people who were under him or her. So I want to put Todd Sampson on it because he's really good at creating ads and we need to advertise to the rest of Australia why early education matters and that's what I'd call my campaign, Early Education Matters, because it's simple, it covers everything and it's quite a useful number of characters for the Twitter hashtag. <laughs> um I'd also put the person that was the boss of the campaign um, Every Australian Counts, the NDIS campaign, because she successfully won a campaign. I'd are also you, like you,
0: well, Lisa, to put... sorry, just to interrupt. You've, you've talked about that campaign a fair yep. bit in terms of why you think that's such a good model the sector doesn't seem to be following at the moment. Can you tell us a bit about you know, that, that the NDIS campaign, Every Australian Matters? Why was that so successful? I know nothing
2: about it, but it worked, <laughs> yeah. right? And I wouldn't be here today without the NDIS because I have a daughter who receives NDIS funding. She's off with her carer enjoying the sights of Melbourne while I'm here. I reckon that's a great program. <laughs> um, uh, sh- I'd also put the boss of the marriage equality um, mm. campaign because that worked. I have some theories about why those two worked and it was because they didn't have that shopping list of campaigns that I told you about earlier. Their entire sectors, I'm sure that the um, marriage equality group, you know, there's the lesbian group and the homosexual group and the, you know, bisexual group and I'm sure that they all fight amongst themselves but for marriage equality they've got that whole alphabet together <laughs> to fight together. I'm sure with the NDIS there's you know similar, a million different groups of um, disability organisations, but they all got together and fought together. I'd also put Julia Gillard on it because Leanne and I went and saw her the other time. <laughs> she, she's nice. <laughs> <laughs> she's just nice and she really believes in education. I'd put myself on. I haven't actually put you two on, but I'd be more than happy to have you on because you're my homies and I need my homies wherever I go. She in at the end, We're not going (laughs) on. You can come to my party. Um, I'd also put a practitioner on because you've always got to have a practitioner on and I'd make it a young practitioner because they're the ones that are still fired up about advocacy. Some of us older people are getting a bit tired. Um and um the first thing that i'd get the early education matters to do is to socialize early education so that it was only possible to run an early education and care service if you're a government or a not-for-profit organization
0: <laughs> i like that response in the
2: media where they said
0: that labor's policies were like a communist takeover of the sector and i'm like sign me up <laughs> oh, yes please um Wonderful. Well, yeah, I'm not going to spend too long on this. There's so many great ideas there. Um, you know, my campaign. Who's in, in
1: charge of yours? Who's in charge
0: of mine? Well,
2: do you like? I would be going directly to Leanne. Of pre- course,
0: experience as a CEO. I'm not I'm not joking I would. Leanne should actually be in charge of an advocacy organisation. I know we talk about this in the podcast as well. Lisa and I. She are basically, doesn't
2: offend people enough, though. No, she she's does very behind blind. the scenes. She's very. You've <laughs> seen the emails we sent each other, Lisa.
0: But. Um, I think we should highlight Leanne's history of advocacy and leadership in the sector is, is second to none. I wouldn't be an advocate if, without the work that community childcare had done uh, in the sector. Um, and Leanne has this amazing ability, as the people will know her, she comes across as a very reasoned, calm,
2: <laughs> diplomatic person. Are you going for a pay rise? No,
0: the next sentence is a bit lesser. <laughs> she's a secret like anarchist terrorist. <laughs> for public <laughs> education when she's you Oh, I
2: love that. And anarchist slash
0: <laughs> like terrorist. So I, I,
2: Change
0: your Twitter bio. Yeah. Uh, so but but look, if we had to be if, you know if we weren't allowed to talk <coughs> amongst ourselves, the person I would go for would be Kate Ellis. Mm, she's yeah. looking for a job yeah. right now. Yes. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Kate Ellis. And again, there's no, no politician is perfect. And I was reflecting on that with um, Bob Hawkes uh, passing yeah. last night, which we should have briefly touch on. Bob yeah, Bob uh, did some pretty amazing things, obviously, on Medicare. Um, his anti-racism stance was incredible. He did, unfortunately, set the scene for the removal of the operational subsidy and probably indirectly led to a lot of the issues we're facing today with um, the market-based model we approach. But no politician is perfect. But Kate Ellis went on an incredible journey as an early education minister under later. She really... She left the sector knowing the sector probably better than any politician um, in Australia, and I was fortunate enough to be one of the press club addresses she get. Which she 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 finally broke that topic. of, She called it unscrambling the egg. That the sector is so complex, and there are so many competing interests, and the funding is so ridiculous and stupid. And anyone who understands every part of it is probably locked in a mental institution somewhere, um, which is often where I want to be. Once I tried to go through another additional childcare subsidy application back at Northside. Um, she would uh, she but she is a powerful advocate, and she has lots of connections in. Hopefully, the you know the next government's going to be formed in Australia. I would I would love to see Kate Ellis. I really hope she does something in the early education sector. Um, she's a real loss to, to to the to the early education community. Um,
2: look, in terms of I, I, my focus, if I if I had a campaign, I like, really like Lisa's
0: point that we have so many. We have right, like shopping. Like- yeah, obviously, yeah. <laughs> great actor. If we we have this shopping list of demands at the moment, if you look at all the different campaigns, they're all worthy goals, and I agree with them all. You know, two days of access to, um, to I can't even say it. Some of it's so complicated. Two days of access to to, um, to early education, um, you know, the work for trade. All these different kinds of things. We have all these shopping lists. For me, it's actually a pretty simple campaign. It's very easy for people to understand, which would be the abolishment of the activity test. It is get rid of the test. Yes. It's all works. Surely everybody's on site yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Yes.
1: <laughs> I love forced, forced
0: applause for my for my comments. Thank you. But um, this is so simple. This is the work activity test. Something you can easily under. Uh, uh, you can easily explain to, to members of the public. Try and explain the early childhood system to members of the public and they get that they can look in their eyes and start to drift away. If people have seen that Simpsons thing where, where Homer walks back into the hedge backwards, that's what you do when you try to understand the childcare subsidy system. Trying to explain to people why we need to change little bits and pieces of it is never going to work. Saying to people, at the moment, a child's access to a centre is based on their parents' roster and their payslip. Is that fair? No and saying, well, let's get rid of that. There should not be an activity test. A child has no control. I feel crazy having to say this, and obviously I'm preaching to the converted, but a child has no control over their parent's situation. How dare they be punished for the fact that their children are not contributing enough to Australia's economy? That's such a simple campaign that people could get behind and we can fix the other things later. Um, Can I just
2: ask in the room here, how many people are LDC background? And how many people are preschool background? So okay, if stay in for, pre-school, then yeah. you don't have to deal with the childcare <laughs> subsidies. So much nicer. <laughs>
0: Lucky you. Um, and in terms of, look, I, I, I did come up with a title for the campaign. To be oh, fair, yeah. I knew I was going to ask this question. You well, did. I think it's important when you're moving forward with an advocacy campaign that you don't lose what you, what's gone in the past. Hmm. So I would call it uh, everyone benefits when you get a sure start to <laughs> when you annual <have> <laughs> <or whatever. laughs> Let's just combine them all. Okay. <laughs> um all right, so I think we've had, well, I think that's a, we've, we've got some good campaigns. Luckily, that's a great term to come that title. <laughs> I've got a feeling Ryan Gosling was the most popular get <laughs> for the campaign, though,
1: so I'll I like we'll send that. him, that him that out. I think that would make the difference, though. Everybody would get on board with a campaign led by Ryan Gosling. <laughs> it's
2: it was a very female-dominated genera- yeah, sector. Okay. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of male
0: educators who don't mind. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, one of the last things we want to do before we go. So, obviously, this this uh, this session, And thank you so much for coming for everyone. This session was about... Um, you know, taking something away in terms of advocacy and engagement. So what can people do? And I hope you're know, hearing our stories. Don't
1: get excited. We've still got a way to go. we feel like you wrapping up. I know, but we're going to get on to this <laughs>
0: last main section. I uh, hope <laughs> we have a time for questions if people are interested. But um, we do want to make sure you leave with some concrete ideas to get out there and advocate. Um, and there's still a whole 12 hours to go before election day. So yes. Yes. Um, no pressure but if you could quickly go and fix all the sector advocacy in the next, uh, before the end of the day, that would be wonderful. Um, so I will we'll try and go through this relatively quickly I think we've got some final sort of points we want to uh, raise about uh, how we can advocate um, simply and effectively um, but I might go to Lisa you first um, you know why should why should educators advocate and what's an easy way to get
2: started? People who have listened to the podcast know that I really like statistics and facts and things and Liam says they're very boring and has made me cut my list down but I'll give you a really quick list of stats which I think explains the why you should advocate for early education. Primarily the main reason is because you are the experts. You are, as doctors are to medicine, you are to children. You are the experts on children. And therefore, if you're not advocating, nobody is advocating for children. Okay, here's my stats. Australia spends less as a percentage of GDP on early education than any other... OECD country, um, well, not quite. We're 30th out of 35, <laughs> so we don't spend enough money. <laughs>
0: Take that Our Caroline. wages
2: of educators and early childhood teachers are really low. The average wage of an educator is $23.99 per hour. The average wage of other Australians are $40.61. If that doesn't get you angry and to get you to be an advocate, then I don't know what will. Um, expenditure on early education is tipped a different way than most OECD countries. In most OECD countries, 81% of it is public funding and only 19% of it is from families. In Australia, 45% is from families and 55% is um, from uh, the government. No, that's the other way around. Forty five percent from the government, fifty-five percent from families. Less than three percent of Australia's education budget is spent on early education. Twenty-six per cent of educators have been in their job for under a year and another forty three percent have been there for one to three years. We just got our timing thing. That's 10 minutes, is it? She tried to do it
0: in a really subtle way, but (laughs) now you let everyone know. Liam
1: said, when Lisa gets started (laughs) on the statistics, can you give
2: us 10 minutes? (laughs) 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 And the one that really gets me is that there was um, uh, something... uh, 6,620 children who were at risk of harm or from families facing temporary financial hardship before childcare subsidy came in, and now no longer getting it. So where are those children? Until we know where those children are, we all have to advocate. So how can you easily do it and why? I'm going to give you two... Well, I've told you the why. I'm going to give you two really easy things to do. One is walk into an election booth tomorrow and vote, and vote thinking about children. I don't care which party you vote for, but vote thinking about children. Certain parties are better than others. The other thing I'd like you to do is, is anyone here on Facebook? Put up your hand if you're on Facebook. Can you put up your hand the last time you posted anything on Facebook, on your personal Facebook account, I'm not talking about in a group, about the importance of early education? Okay, that's pathetic, guys. (laughs) I want everyone to go and make one post about what you do and how important it is. And I want you to do it before you go to bed tonight. I just want you to say something like it can be as simple as, hi, friends, you probably know that I'm an early childhood educator. Do you know how important early education is to children? Think about this when you vote tomorrow. That's all you have to do. Who here is a member of that horrible Facebook group, the EYLFNQF group <laughs> with five hundred thousand people? Can you please post something about yes, we will get a wage raise if Labor gets in? Because so many people, this is a huge Facebook group, and yet someone, yeah, someone um, uh, posted on it the other day. Who believes that they will get a wage rise if Bill Shorten got in? On the plane yesterday, I counted, and that's actually 87% of people don't believe they will get a pay rise. People, when politicians promise something, it happens. It may <coughs> take a while to happen. It took Scott Morrison six years to get the childcare subsidy through Parliament, but eventually it happens. Please believe them when they say it's
0: I think it's a WHS resketchy. Anyone tell on our Facebook group? It so that... is. <laughs> 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 All right, Leanne. What are your? Uh, okay. your Obviously, suggests?
1: this is not the time to reel out my five thousand word essays. No, so no, I right? will no. be quite quick. Um, I early childhood education is political, whether it's about personal politics or government politics, and I think we have to accept that. It's no point saying that we're not a political sector and it's very important that you dive right in. And Liam recently wrote a great blog about um, involvement in politics, so see if you can find that. or You can send that out again, Liam, for everybody. Put it on our website. Sure. Sure. Okay, so um, that is, we just have to accept that that's the case and I think if we can do that, then that's a great idea. Um, In terms of, like, offending people, I think it's all right to offend people or have lively discussions. The three of us have lively discussions about early childhood education, and we do not always agree at all. We also don't agree about the strategies, but we are great friends, and we test our thinking, and we think hard about the issues, and that's this friends thing that's most important. Um, There's a wonderful article, it's not from The Conversation, it's from (laughs) The New York Times that Malcolm Gladwell has just written. Oh, no, he wrote it in 2010, but it's been recirculated, which is about you don't make change via social media. Sorry, Lisa, I did actually write this before you said that. Um, And what he's saying is that social change is done with people together talking about ideas. Social media can help people to mobilise, but it doesn't actually... Bring it together, and he cites some really interesting cases around the, um, you know, the, the race um, race rights movement in the states. That when it came time to really get together and do things, you couldn't walk into a room and say, "Will you be on board with me?" Unless you'd had the big conversations and the good conversations. And
2: and you know why I think that's wrong is because it's so often on social media that you find the people that think the same way This is true, do, but I would urge you to read that actual article. I, I will, I but when you find people that think the same way as you, it empowers you. So every time, you know... I think that's a
1: component them. of it. That's only a small portion of it, really, because mm. you feel personally empowered and you can work together. But I would ask you to read that article. It's very good. Okay, nice. send it to me. Um, <laughs> Just <laughs> an example of it is read it. <laughs> because I think it makes some great points about... That sort of activism. So it's really, yes. So I think we've, we've got a little bit of a difference of opinion on that. Maybe <laughs> because I'm not on Facebook. <laughs> um, and finally, if you want to do one thing, do a handwritten letter to a politician because they have to reply to you. Um, and Lisa and I ran a masterclass on advocacy and did these handwritten letters, and I've done it in uni um, tutorials as well. And it's fantastic. People actually get a response. Now, OK, sometimes it's a bit of a glib response. But they have to respond to a handwritten letter, so I would urge you to handwrite a letter.
0: Wonderful. All right. Really, really quickly, we it, we're, we're incredibly fortunate. We are. So
1: yes, we, we are a political sector.
0: We have to. You can pretend you're not, and, and good luck to you. We are a political sector. We are fun We have a mixture of private, public funding. We and we are. We have legislation. We have rules. We have regulations. We are one of the most political sectors in Australia. Uh, but luckily, we have access to the two things that politicians kill themselves to get their hands on, children and working families. During election campaigns, politicians politician will jump over you know, an electrified fence to get access to a child and a family to have a lovely photo taken. They love going into early childhood centres. They love the photo opportunity. Invite politicians into your centres. During an election campaign is great, but build relationships during... So whoever wins the election tomorrow... Make sure you, that's something you can do really easily. They will trust you do you. that? Yeah. 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 They always say yes. Start, 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 state. if that's easier to do. If you have your local state member, go federal as well. They always say yes. They love the photo opportunity. And while they're there, give them an absolute earful about what you want. Mm-hmm. And so that, that that's one access you have to them. And, and engage with your families, with your communications out to families. It's not about telling families who to vote for. You're not a real estate agent, for God's sake. It, it's about saying here are the things we think are important about early education. Here's the current policy. Here's what we agree and disagree with. Here's what we'd like you to think about as you're going away over the next few years. So. Ask them into your centres, they always say yes, and they believe me, they are far more nervous about it than you are because they can't control who, what they're going into. It feels kind of crazy, but they are either just as or even more nervous, than you invite the politicians into your centres. After the election today, no matter who wins, go back and find out who your state member is and your federal member and send them an email saying we'd love to come and talk to you about the childcare subsidy. And how difficult we're finding the additional childcare subsidy, or something like that. We should say, as well, Labor has committed if they win to review the activity test. It's not as strong as I'd like, but making sure you're part of that review is going to be incredibly important. One of the issues we've had with advocacy is people going to Parliament House and advocating who are not then going back on Monday to front up to a family who's had their hours cut and you will have to walk them through that. That's a huge issue in ethics. We don't have people who actually work directly with children and families being advocates. That's a huge issue. Um, but I think that's yeah, I think we've done pretty well for time. So we, we, we might have a little bit of time for, for questions possibly after, after. But yeah, in a photo. But I think Lisa's going to try and get a selfie with... Oh, lovely, can I haven't got
2: big legs. Uh, big, big legs? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Lisa, you're doing selfies wrong. <laughs> um, I want to thank, thank everyone for coming and joining us today. Thank you very much.